0: Hello, it's Meg. Before we start our show, I want to invite you to a free masterclass that I'm hosting in honor of our 300th episode. Please join me for the Star Coach Masterclass, the six C's to your coaching master plan. I'm going to be diving into six key elements that I have learned to be critically important to creating your plan for moving forward as a coach with confidence and creating the kind of impact you really want to have. I am bringing together my years of experience of building my own thriving coaching business as well as instructing and mentoring thousands of coaches over the past 13 years. So you wanna join us, go to starcoachshow.com slash register slash Be sure to include that second slash starcoachshow.com forward slash register forward slash. Join us. You do not want to miss this. This is the Starcoach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 299.
1: It's very unhelpful if people choose to believe things like that person's a natural born seller and I just can't be good at this. It's not true. And I think a lot of people, who someone might point to, to say, is a natural born seller, what they mean is they have the gift of gab. And that does not a good salesperson make, Ah, just like coaching, it's exactly like coaching. You don't have as many words as they do. Your job is to listen. And the more carefully we listen so that we are listening with you know creativity and we're not just waiting for our turn to speak, but we're really deeply listening. The more a person is skilled in doing that, the more that prospect feels connected to us and believes that you know we have proven that we are tailoring something that will be a good fit for them. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching
0: strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, Take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to the show. It's fabulous to have you here. I'm your host Meg Rinchler. I'm an executive coach. I'm also a mentor coach and a coach educator and I'm thrilled to have you here because we have a fabulous show. We are going to be talking with Catherine Brown about how to embrace the reality of selling in our businesses, how to get past some of the mindset issues that we might have around selling. I'm going to tell you more about Catherine and how fabulous she is in just a minute. As I was creating the lineup for shows, I realize that, you know, just in the past three shows, we've had a really good example of what the Star Coach Show is all about. Two weeks ago, we talked about resiliency and how to coach a client toward resiliency. If you haven't heard that show, I really recommend that you listen to what Teresa Bittner was sharing about that. And that show was very skill-based. How do we show up in our skills towards that element? And then last week, I welcomed Dr. William Torbert, We talked about transformational leadership, how we can as leaders engage with our behaviors, with feedback, with inquiry to be the best leaders we can be. So that was very solidly in my leadership element of the Star Coach Show. And then as I mentioned, this week, I'm welcoming Catherine Brown. Catherine is the Author of a new book, How Good Humans Sell, The Proven Path to B2B Sales Success. Catherine is absolutely fabulous in the reality that sales are not easy for us, that we probably need to do some exploration around how we show up in that situation and what stories we're telling ourselves. And I'll tell you more about Catherine in just a second. But one of the things that Became really apparent to me as I was looking over the last couple shows, and as I realized, obviously, that episode 300 is this very next week, that I needed to do something to really celebrate the show and celebrate our milestone of our 300th episode that's coming up. So I am celebrating by offering a free masterclass series just for you. The week of August 8th, as you probably heard in the intro before the show started, that this masterclass is going to offer you the six C's to your coaching master plan. So I encourage you to seriously think about coming. I'm bringing all my experience forward in in mentoring and coaching and teaching over a thousand coaches over the past 13 years, of being a business owner of over 30 years, of having interviewed and brought forward this show for 300 episodes as of next week, I want to share those key elements that really create success for you. Because whether this is your first time to the show, or your 300th time to the show, hopefully, you know, I am passionate about helping coaches really thrive and bring their coaching impact forward. So, Don't hesitate, please, to register for the free series. If you can't make it during the live times, it's okay. They're all going to be recorded. You can listen as you go along. There's going to be just key information to really help you thrive. So go to StarCoachRegister.com, StarCoachRegister.com, and join us for the masterclass on your coaching master plan. now. Let me tell you more about our fabulous guest today. As I mentioned, Catherine Brown is the author of How Good Humans Sell, The Proven Path to B2B Sales Success. It was just recently released in May of 2021. And as a veteran of 25 plus years of B2B business-to-business selling, Catherine really understands what it means to start and build a business during challenging times. She launched her first sales consulting firm in 2003 and now runs the sales training firm Extra Bold Sales, where she coaches others to sell with confidence. And that is exactly what she's going to be bringing forward today. Her sales system includes psychology research that gets to the heart of why people don't sell effectively. She also trains on the reasons people buy and we're going to be looking at her process that helps business owners take frustration and worry out of business development. We're going to be just honest about the fact that we get that this is not always fun. And at the same time, how can you apply your coaching to your sales? Catherine lives right here in Texas where I live. I I had the honor of meeting her at a conference that we were at together. And she agreed to come and join our show to really help you bring your impact forward. So without further ado, let's go to my interview with Katherine Brown. Katherine Brown, welcome to the Star Coach Show.
1: Thank you so much. I've been a listener for a while now, and I'm delighted to be a guest.
0: Well, I was so excited to meet you. I had the honor of being able to hear you present and boy, do you do a lovely job with that and such a lovely job that I had to rush the stage and say, Catherine, my audience needs to hear you too. And you were so gracious to say, let's make it happen. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to be looking at how as business owners, we might love doing what it is that we do. And in this situation, coaching. Do we love bringing people into our business and the concept of attracting clients, sales, all those kinds of things? Maybe not. We're going to talk about lots of different lenses to look through that at. And I'm excited about that because I think you're going to have some great tips and perspective sharing with the audience today. I would love to start first with what the heck has led you to do the kind of work you do and really focus in on a lot of your work is with coaches, right?
1: It really is. Yeah. I was so excited when you asked me because I knew about your podcast and I really can say, I think everyone needs a coach. Um, I think that it's such an important role. I'm so glad that it has grown as a profession. I know a few decades ago that people would only think of coach as a in the athletic sense, right? So I'm glad that that's becoming more mainstream among leadership development and for executives and for people to invest in themselves. Answering your question, how I felt, well, you didn't ask me how I fell into it. That's my answer. And it's funny, Meg, because most people in sales, if you ask them, I literally just last week was doing some sales training for a trade association. And I had about 35 people on a Zoom call. And I said, I said, please tell me if you thought you were going to be in sales or if you would describe that you fell into it, you know, with air quotes. And all 35 people said they felt like they fell into it. This is what happens every time. Yeah, people don't sign up for sales. So I got into it by way of recruiting. My first corporate job was to be a corporate recruiter. Inside a company doing the interviewing and looking for consultants with a certain type of technology skill set, I realized I did well with that. I realized that many of the things I was doing were selling, that it was similar, just a little bit different words, but similar action. And there was a lot more money in sales. And I thought, well, I'm going to ask if they'll move me over. And so that began really that recruiting and then moving into technology sales, consulting sales, and now I do training sales. It began this really, what I would call a lifelong love affair with selling. And I know that sounds funny because not many people feel that way, but the reason I feel that way, Meg, is because I feel like everything a person wants in their business, the abundance, the impact, the prosperity, the relationships, the benefits from the revenue, everything we want comes from more sales. Right. And yet it has such a negative stereotype and people are so reluctant to embrace the S word. And so I want to address that for people and help them get over that negative stereotype because there is a way to sell assertively, confidently, according to your values to get more of everything you want, which I know in the coaching community, some of what they want is big, big impact. Right. More impact, bigger stage, bigger opportunity, bigger influence. All of those things require more selling, really.
0: So, such a beautiful introduction. And so, and we can be, those of us who are under the coaching umbrella, can be so pleased that people like you who are embracing maybe that aspect of our business that we're a little uncomfortable with, and not only embracing it, but saying, let me help you be better at it. Because when you can be better at it, you can have more impact. You could reach more people. Your message can get out to more. And then, like you said, the ripple effect of that is never ending. So with that, let's kind of start just with the concept of, you said people tend to fall into sales. How many people have you met across your length of time doing this that say, oh my gosh, I love sales. Sales come so easy for me. Just I'm just a natural born salesperson.
1: Oh, I would say, and if you add to what you just said, Meg, like people who said they deliberately intended to go into it, I mean, I would say like 10 <laughs> ever. Total, 10 ever. <laughs> Total, yeah, ever. I mean, no one ever says that. I, I mean, I really can see the faces of a few people from workshops where I had people raise their hand or things like that. Occasionally, you'll meet someone who grows up knowing that they're going to run a family owned business and they might have an entrepreneurial parent and they realize that's part of it and they, have the good fortune of growing up believing that this is honorable work and that it's important and they don't have a negative view of it, most people fall into it and have to get to where they at least can tolerate it, even if they never come to a place where they say that they you know, really, really enjoy it. Give me my, more of those sales. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, my I'm really very satisfied. So I have two types of clients I serve. I have the entrepreneur slash business owner who has to sell their own products or services. And most of those are professional services sales. So coaches, consultants of different kinds, trainers of different kinds, graphic designers, financial people in financial services industries, they will be a solopreneur and they will come to group things that I offer typically as a way that they get started with me and they say, look, I've got to get better at this myself because I have to bring in my own work and I'm not yet at a a scale and size and revenue that I can hire someone to do this for me. So that's one client I serve. And then the other is I can have a few clients at a time. I'm the only trainer in my company right now. So I can handle a few corporate clients at a time with their sales team. And I take them through sales training material And that's where an owner would hire me to work with his or her whole team. What's interesting and what my research shows is that it doesn't really matter whether it's the owner, seller, or it's actually the people that you hire. Everybody has some reluctance about being perceived as too pushy and being concerned that of how they will be perceived. And that concern affects how much action they take in initiating with people and following up. And you would think, the owner seller solves their problem by hiring someone. But what I would really want your solopreneur coaches to know is that you don't address this feeling of the about and reluctance that you have, you will accidentally pass it on to someone else, you will create a culture that is unhealthy about selling. And it's really very human to be worried about how we're perceived. That's the essence of coaching, right? It's helping people think through that. So it's very normal to struggle with that. And I want to normalize that and have people know it's a human problem. It's not about the role you have in the company. Most people struggle with this. Even those who seemingly volunteer and sign up to do the work, they still kind of go up to a certain line and then start to worry, gosh, I wonder if that person didn't get back to me because they think I'm too expensive, or they must be talking to a competitor, or they must have made a different decision, and they just haven't told me yet. When in reality, we don't know any of that information. It's we're all
0: mind like, reading. Yeah.
1: Making up a story. yeah, we're just making up a story.
0: We can make up incredible stories. And I think that those stories then keep us from following up, right? Keep us from just extending again and saying, well, what would we say in a follow up? What would we've done an expert? Maybe we've done an exploratory call or a fit call with somebody, and they've said that they want to have a little time to think about it and then we start telling ourselves story when we haven't heard in a couple of days or we all that they, they must have gone with somebody else or they didn't yes. like me or I knew that I didn't do as good of a job on that call as I could have or Lord knows what all we might tell ourselves. <laughs> what would you recommend we do instead?
1: Thanks, Meg. It's a great question. So I used to say to people, don't make up a story. And I do sometimes still say that, but I'm practicing something different that I'll try out on you and on your audience here. It's recognizing that human beings, what makes us different from animals is that we have the thoughts and actually can affect our mood and affect our decisions by the power of our thoughts. We have thoughts that nobody else has. Nothing else has like we have them. And so I think that because we are meaning makers, I think that because we Automatically interpret what's going on around us is the essence of being human. Then what I would say is make up a story that serves everyone. <laughs> oh,
0: I like <laughs> and, that. You know,
1: and that story that serves everyone is to, with empathy, assume the best, which is they're doing the very best they can, and they're just they're just busy. So I literally coach myself every single day when I do my revenue generating activities, and I notice that someone owes me a call or that I initiate with them and they've not yet gotten back to me. We have this space that happens in our mind in three seconds where we notice and then the stories rush in. And so I think to, and I got this expression actually from someone else who was a guest on your show, this notice and naming, right? So notice that you're about to do that and then name what you're doing and say, oh, I'm about to create a story. I'm making this up. What choices do I have? And so I want people and I want your listeners to train their mind to choose to believe that the person is doing the best they can. You don't know what is happening with them. We're filled with empathy because they really are doing their absolute best and they're juggling a lot, which is true for most mm-hmm. of us. And it is a gift to give them several opportunities, not just one, several opportunities to get back with you before you communicate anything like, I'm assuming you're not interested. Don't rush to that because that mm-hmm. is an incorrect assumption. Think about the last time a friend called you. Sometimes it takes me. A while to get back to someone I know, love and trust, much less someone I'm just getting to know. And so we sometimes hold other people to a higher standard in selling than we do ourselves when we're on the other end of it. And remember, everyone's doing their best and people need more space, and more grace, and probably more follow-up from us.
0: And so the follow-up, I can imagine that some chatter is going on in people's brains right now. And well, what do I say that doesn't sound pushy? Or what would you recommend that I say in a follow-up? Because I'm trying to make the assumption that they're doing their best and I don't want to kind of just drop my end of it because part of it feels, I think, professionally irresponsible to like not follow up at all.
1: Unless you make someone else wrong. Like sometimes we get out of it by making other people wrong and saying, well, you said you'd let me know. So you must not be interested. I hope they feel it's professionally responsible, but I don't know that everyone feels that way. I feel that way. I think some talk themselves out of it because they feel nervous and then they, in a sense, can blame the prospect because that enables them to not have to take as much responsibility because that feels scary. Right. Right?
0: So what what are some things that we might say in follow-up that is, and my whole thing is that I truly believe sales can be very coach-like I mean, that that the whole concept of we do a needs assessment and we sort of explore what's going on with this other person. And and so I'm sure that follow-up can be very coach-like as well. And so what, what are some recommendations that
1: you have there? Super. Well, one is I put on the, the naughty list. Do you remember with the movie Elf years ago, he had the naughty list to say that's yes. naughty list? So on the naughty list, I have the expression, just following up. Okay. I don't like to say that. And I advise my clients not to say it because number one, the word just probably needs to be struck from most of our vocabularies. It's diminishing. And think about this in the context of selling, since we're already worried about how we're being perceived. When we say just, it's a diminutive word, right? It pushes us down into a begging category, which none of us want to be in anyway. So let's strike just from our vocabulary unless we are talking about justice. (laughs) That is my suggestion to people. Like move just away and start to notice when you say that, because that is not helping you. And I think it primes us for these feelings that we're already worried about. So I would not say just checking in. I remind people what they said. So let's say this is an email or a voicemail. I because probably I'll call and not catch them because they're in a meeting, whatever. So if I leave a voicemail or I send an email as a reminder. I would remind them where we left it. And you might, someone might hear me say that and think, that just seems so aggressive, Catherine. It's not. It's a helpful reminder because people can't remember because they're so goal diffused. They're so busy. So I might say, Meg, when we spoke on Wednesday, you stated that your next step was to speak to so-and-so and and that we would, uh, that you'd follow up with me this week about that. I haven't heard from you. This is a friendly reminder. I'm still interested. Here's what's happened with my schedule. And then don't forget every communication, we want to have the call to action that we can control. So we want to say, you know, what we will do next. If we don't connect by Friday, I'll try you again Monday. Or if this is the third or fourth time you've tried someone, which I would encourage everyone to try at least three times, simply because you can rotate your methods, right? You can do an email, you can do a text, you can do um, a LinkedIn message. You can do, there's so many ways we can reach out to people so we can rotate not only what we say, but how we say it. And, 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 and the, where we say, yes. where we say, so because we can do that variety, that helps also to feel less pushy because we're kind of breaking it up as we're getting to know mm-hmm. their preferred method. Mm-hmm. And so after you've tried three or four times, I think it's okay to have your call to action be, since it's been hard for us to connect, I'm beginning to wonder if you have some time constraints or aren't interested in, in pursuing this at this time, I'm going to assume it's not a good time if I don't hear from you. Like It's okay eventually to say something right. like that. But you're going to really look aggressive and impatient and potentially very insensitive if you say that too early, because what if they have COVID, right? Like what this if is, a parent we're, we're is ill? Yeah. This, we're recording this in the summer of 22. You know, people will be listening to this for years to come, but we're recording this in the summer of 22. And at this very moment, I have five people in my fairly close circle who have COVID even now, right? right? So it happens to people. People now in the in, in some months are on holiday, they're on vacation, they are overcommitted, they feel stressed. And I think, especially Meg, because your listeners are primarily coaches, I think that sometimes coaches might forget, I can say as a coach buyer, you know, mm-hmm. that I think sometimes people forget that if it's the first time someone has invested like a big decision, because if it's their own money, they might have some things they're working out about their own values and their own self-worth and their own commitment to growth and change and they might feel nervous. So I think you want to be it you want to be coaching yourself in the sales role as a coach to remember with empathy that this is a harder decision for some people than others and so you want you're going to have to ask more times than you think. I want to give one more answer to the question yeah. which is something that I know we've talked about at in prior conversations and at conferences we've attended, but I think this is where having some kind of resource that you can share about something that helps them is really a marketing asset. So if it also helps people in the follow-up, if you have anything like videos or a handout on top three things to get ready to do for a most effective coaching call, or you have a resource, it doesn't even have to be an article you wrote. It could be, Something you've shared with clients that was one of your most favorite podcast episodes. Anytime you can give something that offers insider or adds advice for them Mm -hmm. that is um, customized to the prior conversation you've had, it makes you a trusted advisor and it really helps people that I work with. It helps them to follow up to literally say, P.S. Have you seen this? Or have you heard this? Or did you read this? Or you might like this. It really feels like you're generously giving and you're not simply chasing to make a sale. That is
0: really important. And then I would say that it also kind of goes to that that concept of having some resources available that you can readily access because it's going to build your credibility. It's going to build sort of the way that people look at you. And, And I just think that in general, as coaches, that's a good thing for us to begin to build. I say to my mentees all the time, You know, what kind of a resource library are you beginning to build that you can, whether those are your own products, as you said, whether they are giveaways that you do or infographics that you have or things that you've accessed that other people have done. But it is, it's that I've listened deeply to what you had to say. And I believe that this is a valuable resource for you. And so if somebody is wanting to know if you were really tuned in, that right there can also help them like, oh yeah, Catherine was really listening because this is exactly what a resource that would
1: be helpful. Love that. I I think, Meg, that some people, like I have a client I'm thinking of right now as we're talking and I had this conversation with him because he hasn't written very many of those resources. He has a little bit he can share, but he was really pushing back on me. He was really challenging me and saying, I think it's weird to share something someone else wrote. I completely disagree. I think it's better if you wrote it, but we have to remember that when we live and breathe and eat this stuff, we're watching all the trade publications, we're listening to podcasts like yours, we're we're doing all this work, but other people are not doing all that work. And so I 100% believe that even if it is an interview, a video series, um a podcast episode a news article whatever it is that is about coaching that you believe would be useful to people who follow you i would put that in your resource library and understand that they will see you as the connector your prospect your prospective client they'll see you as a very in the know person who is um, connecting them to all kinds of assets i also think that if a coach shares the resources that another professional coach wrote, it shows you're not afraid too. I think it shows it's an abundance perspective. Like there's enough work for all of us. And then you can talk about it. You can say, oh, I really liked how Meg did such and such. I really liked how so-and-so did this. And you can, you can be communicating that you also are qualified to assist right. in a way that that was described where you say, now they focus this way. And I like this. And I also like this, but other people's stuff can be an asset for us as well. And I think that this idea that it has to all be our original work. I think that comes out of another place of fear and insecurity. And I have courses where as supplemental material in the Dropbox file after a class, I throw in some other things. That I say, if you are loving this and you've enjoyed what we've covered, you'll also like this. And it's not all my original stuff. And, and I, I give all the credit where it's due, but I consider myself a connector of those Correct. great assets. And that gives me confidence because I'm basically a connector on their behalf.
0: Exactly, and you know, it's it's not as though they're going to. Well, I only want to work with the person who wrote the article. What they're doing is seeing you as the person who connected them with this great resource because you listened deeply, you understood what their needs were in the call. So um, I love, and I would encourage those of you who are still hesitant about that to think about how many times you've been on LinkedIn. And you've, you've liked a post that somebody shared that was an article that they didn't write, but you got into a conversation with them. They were the ones that shared it. They were the ones that brought it forward. And then you had, you know, a conversation with them about their perspective or about, and maybe even started following them because of what they shared, even if it wasn't their own material.
1: So think back about how like the personal development space, I mean, not everybody works with Tony Robbins. Like he takes like seven clients a year and he has a five-year waiting list. I literally heard him say that on a a video recently. He has a five-year waiting list, but people follow him and like his stuff. And when it resonates with someone, that's an example or in coaching, right? Marshall Goldsmith. I mean, he has a handful of personal clients and he writes books and people read his books and benefit from it. And if your client's never read any of his books, they should because they're good. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So you might share something that doesn't mean that they're going to forego coaching
0: with you for a 10 year wait to work with Marshall or, you know, they're not going to, they're not not going to do that.
1: They're not going to do that because they're dipping their toe in. They are building relationship with you and you hitching your wagon to those other resources and saying people like me, like things like this, it increases your credibility.
0: So when we think about different resources and we think about what we know to be true about the human condition, we talked about the fact that, you know, we want to be liked. We want people to not feel like we're pushing them away. But the other thing that we talked about, or, and the other thing that we talked about regarding research and sales is the, how growth mindset can help us in this concept of how do I embrace sales within my own company? So what would you like to share about the concept of growth mindset?
1: Yes. So, this idea is about fixed mindset versus growth mindset, of course, goes back to Carol Dweck and the idea that a fixed mindset perspective says a person either has it or doesn't have it. They have the skill or they don't. And a growth mindset says, I might stink at this, but if I practice, I can develop competency. I can even potentially become very good, but it expects to practice. Growth mindset expects to practice. And I like to think about this as it pertains to my children who are now adults, but when they were very small, because I was studying to be a professional musician and I got to study music and have lessons and travel and do all kinds of cool camps. And that was a big part of my growing up. I told my husband at the time that this was a really important value to me. And I said, they need to take lessons for a long time. We're not going to do the one year requisite piano because you still stink after one year of piano. It's still a big struggle. (laughs) Yes, it's still a struggle, right? So people don't enjoy things until they become good at them. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's lifting weights. It doesn't matter if it's a new eating regime. It doesn't matter if it's learning to be a better better, um, manager of my money. It doesn't matter if it's in sales. No one loves it until they become good at it. So in the case of the lessons, I said, it's not the instrument that's important to me. It's having several years experience. So I got my husband's buy-in that we were going to require four years of music lessons for on, on the same instrument. They got to pick the instrument, but I said, we're not going to jump around and we're not going to do the one year because everybody quits after one year. You ask any adult, that's their piano story. That's right? my saxophone story. <laughs> Maggie's raising her head, right? I mean, it's, And I'm not saying that to make anybody wrong or to blame their parents or whatever. I just, this was my experience. It took me that long to really enjoy it. So I said, let's try this. Sure enough, after four years, they chose to keep going because even as little boys who also wanted to play video games or play basketball outside with their friends, they started to develop some confidence around this area with the mm-hmm. instrument and even some bread, you know, with their friends because their friends had given up on piano after one year and these kids could play. And so even now as adults, they do this, you know, for leisure, one is pursuing music professionally and the other does it for leisure and fun and plays at church. And it's so great, right? To me, that's part of being a lovely, well-rounded human, but they would tell you there were a lot of tears and there was a lot of frustration. And I wanted to quit quite a few times in my own conviction of keeping them going, because it's not fun until you right. practice. And so I think it's so important that you have a community of people that you practice with. That's why I'm a fan of group group training and group coaching, and I build communities. I think that you need other people to encourage you. I think you want to actively grow your beliefs. And so you want to notice it and name it when you are starting to go down an unhelpful path of negative self-talk and taking actions that are not helpful. I'll show you my tool here on the visual. This might come up later on our promo, but you know I have this jar that has marbles in it. And every time, every month I start over my jar again, and I put a marble every time I get a referral, a recommendation, a positive Amazon book review for my book, or I uh, close a piece of business. And I just drop a marble in the jar. And when I need a visual reminder that the work I'm doing matters and that I'm getting positive feedback, you know, I look at my marbles. Oh, I that's mean, I, awesome. I, mean, I, I use it every month. So I, I last a week because we went to, you know, to the new month, I took some out and I looked at what had happened last few days and I put one for each thing and now I'll, you know, build it again for June. And I need to remember, oh yeah, that the work you're doing is making a real difference in the life of people in their business. And I also have these visual cues. So I'm a real fan of looking at the self-talk, the visual cues, all of the above, because we, we need that. And we need a lot of reinforcement because we're going against the grain of that negative stereotype.
0: So when we think about, and I love the visual there, I, I think that many of us need to challenge ourselves to think, what are the things that motivate us? Do you need a visual? And you had never really thought about that. Is mm-hmm. there a particular mantra that would work really well for you? Do you need an accountability partner or somebody who you touch base with to get that motivation? Like, what is it that motivates each one of you? And think outside of the box. I love your your glass jar that has those beautiful marbles in it.
1: And Meg, what's so interesting is what might motivate you in one domain of your life is different in another. So I'll give you a quick example of that. I'm motivated by positive reinforcement and praise in, in doing my own selling. So I will go review my own customer reviews. I will sit and remember a successful sales call. I will tell my staff what someone said. So I hear myself say it. I have learned that about myself. When it comes to health and fitness, a vision of where I want to go, it is not enough for me. It's just not enough. I really need some consequences if I don't do what I said I was going to do. So I've had success. So for things like weight loss or goals for exercise, I do more the stick than the carrot just for myself. And I think it's just very interesting that it works differently sometimes in different domains, even though you're supposedly the same person the whole time. And so I've had great success when I have um like had a bet with someone. <laughs> I mean, I've literally said if I don't lose the weight through this app and you know take care of these things that I said were important to me by this date, then I'm gonna put this money in the kitty or I have to just give this money to the nonprofit or I have to pay you. No one's making me do that. That's right. me figuring out. Like where do the stakes feel high? And so it's going to get my attention or in other ways, I don't need that. And I'm motivated by positive feedback, um, being a good model, whatever that reason might be. It can just be very varied for each person, for each thing.
0: For each thing. I think such an important point because Mm -hmm. there's just different, different underlying values sometimes,
1: different things that motivate us. And I don't know why the domains of my life are different with those motivators, but I have figured out that they are. And so whatever it takes. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) whatever it takes. takes. Whatever it takes. But I do think, I think it's very unhelpful back to your earlier question. It's very unhelpful if people choose to believe things like that person's a natural born seller and I just can't be good at this. It's not true. And I think a lot of people who someone might Point to to say is a natural born seller. What they mean is they have the gift of gab, and that does not a good salesperson make. Ah, just like coaching, it's exactly like coaching. You don't have as many words as they do. Your job is to listen, and the more carefully we listen, so that we are listening with you know creativity, and we're not just waiting for our turn to speak, but we're really deeply listening. The more a person is skilled in doing that, the more that prospect feels connected to us and believes that, you know, we have proven that we are tailoring something that will be a good fit for them. And so I think even introvert, extrovert, some of those sorts of things, there's stereotypes about what it takes for someone to be successful in sales. And I think a lot of them are unhelpful and untrue because it's not about just winning others over or being comfortable in a large group of people. It's about how you run the call and what you're willing to do to manage yourself to get those calls. I think a lot of coaches because they're good coaches, once they get that discovery call they're probably doing pretty well, but I'm suspecting that where many of your listeners are struggling is increasing the volume of those number of calls, initiating with people so that they have overall more sales. It's that putting yourself out there and initiating that is more scary for people, I think.
0: You know, that's pro- that's a really good insight to that. Do
1: you think that's true? That's my theory.
0: Yeah, I think that getting in front of people and inviting them into that discovery call or that chemistry call that might very well be where the bigger struggle is, even in, although I will, I'm thinking over the hundreds of conversations I've had with coaches. I think that very closely a lot, like a second to that would be once we have the discovery call, inviting them into the actual business. Okay. Like in inviting somebody into, I would like to invite you to work with me. And this is what that would be in the way of investment. And that's, this is what that would look like. I, I talked to many coaches who get super tongue tied right at that point, like yeah, I so could do a needs assessment, the but actually asking for the business.
1: Yes. You know, it's interesting. It's not exactly the same kind of thing, but I have a friend who has a college admissions business. And one of the things that really helped her was to just put the packages on the website. (laughs) Like- when you move out of like some things you might choose to custom package mm-hmm. and you can always have that disclaimer on your site right or right. on your linkedin profile but if you in general have package a and b or you at minimum say everybody does this to start with and you list what this is then at least you have that to direct them to and the right. more you have published about that and you reference the name of your package whatever that starter thing is then you it makes it easier to ask for the sale because More and more and more, what we're seeing about business to business sales is that people in 2022 I mean, our prospects who take a call with us, it's extremely likely that they've already looked for a way to hear us speak. They have read something about us. They have looked at our social media profile. They've looked to see if we have a website. And they're probably pretty well informed coming into the call. You can validate that probably when you name the package. It's going to not be the first time they've ever seen that if they did their homework coming into a call which i certainly would i mean i wouldn't right. i wouldn't give my time to someone without having some sense of what their services cost and so i if for for me the invitation to work with you would be the second or third time i thought of that not the first time i'd ever seen that
0: that's really good perspective because i know that that's something i get asked questions about too should i put my pricing on my website and that's a, a really good argument for putting Pricing on the website because if somebody is disinterested in paying for your services, do you not want to know that? And I mean, you know, if I hear, well, what if they're scared away by that? Well,
1: they're probably not your target. Yeah.
0: They're probably not your target market anyway. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And there's all kinds of ways you can do it, Meg. I've heard some trainers who I respect very much who've said, you want to list premium pricing. And then you can always say, well, that's for the X package. And if that's not possible for you, we could look at what we could do instead. But in a way, you're like the idea behind naming your premium pricing is that you don't just discount because they asked. They understand that they get all these services if they buy that. And so what services would you like to take away to lower the price? That's a possibility. That's one angle. I kind of do the opposite. Like I will often say things like in a discovery call, when I'm not sure what training I'm going to offer yet to the corporation because I'm still learning and doing a needs analysis, I do want to get a price out there. So I see if we're on the same page. So I will say something like, well, when I worked with a company with something, some some of the things you're describing last time that the services started at X and I'll name a minimum. And then I just be quiet to see what they say, because I'm, Want to talk about money early, right? Because we don't want to invest a lot of time. And God forbid, I tell people don't write a proposal, you know, and throw it over the fence to to a company or to someone if you didn't name talk about money before, because it's really not qualified. Sometimes people will ask you for a bid or quote or proposal because they don't know what to do next. But I like this image of a guide. As the salesperson, you are the guide in this story, right? In the hero's journey, they are the hero and you are the guide. And you're, that means you're always staying ahead of them and you're driving what happens. So if you're about to get off the call and you've not talked about money, you can say, Hey, I know we're about to get off the call, but we haven't talked about money. <laughs> <laughs> just-, <laughs> just Bring it up. Right. And say, right. I don't want this to be weird. And I, and I don't know what your expectations are, but you know, services like what we've been describing today, start at X. Is this what you were expecting? And then just zip it. Count to 10 in your head, give them time to think, get it out there. But I I feel like a lot of companies that sell all kinds of things that end up working with, they're hesitant to bring this up early. And so they will actually show a demo or take multiple sales calls send proposals over and have people who are reading these proposals that they, that it, this things getting passed around the corporation and they did never talk about money until it was in writing. And that's very risky. It's for also you. a lot of time to do a proposal when you don't even investment. know. Yeah. It's a risky time investment. It's an unwise time investment when you can just learn ways to use your own voice in a way that feels authentic to you but bring this thing up if they don't ask, because I think qualifying on money is an important thing pretty early.
0: And you know, you don't need to be apologetic about that. This is your business. So if you want to qualify about money, if you want it, and I love the way that you said, you know, this is where it starts. Is this kind of like in the ballpark that you were thinking? Or is this in alignment with what you were thinking is going to save you a lot of time because people, it takes a lot of time to write out a proposal. And then it can go to this big, dark, Empty spot, but never, world you world never world. yeah, except the black hole. That's what, I, yeah. and then it's just, it's super frustrating. So I love that advice. You know, I could happily talk to you for hours, and I know that you have other things to do besides talking to me. So as we wrap up our time today, you know, we we've really talked about it's okay to acknowledge that you struggle with sales, and yet if you don't want it to be just a thorn in your side throughout your business. Do be proactive to build that muscle. And I just wonder, as we are closing out, there's no doubt there's hundreds of other things that we could continue to talk about and do, but anything in particular that you wanted to be sure we put on the table as we were closing out our time together today?
1: Great question. I think that one of the things that helps most of the companies that I work with to reorient the value of what they're offering to people is to ask yourself this question. Most people can answer the question if I say, Meg, what do you sell? Then you would have an answer and you would name packages or services or things like that. And so would I. If we ask the secondary question, if we say, tell me more about what you really sell, kind of go a level deeper, that's where you would, your mind automatically would go toward, I sell a way for people to move into the job they really. I sell a way for them to build the life they want. I sell X, I sell Y, right? We're getting to the motives and values of why people buy from us and that deeper things we sell. So I sell sales training services. I speak at conferences about why do I do that? Because sales is a skill. Being able to sell well is a tool that is essential in the value chain of what every business person needs to get everything they want from their business. You really can't outsource it completely. You have to have a certain level of proficiency. And so when I see that what I do is this really important, it's very technical skills and I can teach you how to qualify. I can teach you how to initiate. I can teach you how to manage your self-talk. It sounds like it's very tactical, but it's very grand and purposeful too, because it leads to this prosperous, abundant life that people want. And so when someone asks me, what do you really sell? I sell a way for you to get what you want in business. It's very motivating to me. So I would ask all of you, our listeners to think, how would I answer that question? What do I sell? And then what do I really sell? And when you tap deeply into that, what do I really sell? It will help you follow up again. Think about what to build in your resource library. Practice noticing when you feel nervous and naming and calling out and saying, that is untrue. You have no proof self that that's true. What do you know is true? The last time you spoke with this person, they said that they were interested in that they were going to talk to their spouse, right? You can develop this muscle with practice. And so I like that. What do you sell? And what do you really sell? And so hopefully that will help your listeners.
0: Oh, very much so. Catherine, thank you so much for being here with us today. If people want to get a hold of you and learn more about you,
1: what's the best way for them to connect with you? Thank you. So I have two websites. If you are listening and you are an internal coach in a corporation, you're going to want to go to my sales training website. And my company name is extraboldsales.com. So E X T R A B O L D, extra bold sales.com. If you are a solopreneur, or you are interested in having this topic be at talks or conferences or things like that, I have a website that's the same name as my book. And that is howgoodhumanssell.com. And you can learn resources there. So either of those sites are great.
0: And we will have both of those links in the show notes for this episode.
1: Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: I hope that interview sort of made you think about what are some of the stories you're telling yourself about sales and how can you step in and embrace sales instead. I want to thank Catherine for bringing her incredible information forward. Give you a little heads up that I'm very excited. I'm soon to be on her podcast, How Good Humans Sell. So I'll let you know about that when it comes out. If you'd like to know more about Catherine and the great work that she does, go to starcoachshow.com/two nine nine. Starcoachshow.com slash two nine nine and grab the links to be able to connect with her book, with her podcast, with her website. Now, if that is starcoachshow.com slash two nine nine, that means that our next episode is episode three hundred. And I'm going to invite you to listen to my coach, Rick Tamlin, interview me about some top secret stuff. So I'm going to be on the hot seat next week and I'm going to be interviewed and really bringing forward some ideas to you, some of the journey about the show and other secret, top secret things to help you thrive as a coach. So that's next week. As we approach episode 300, I would be greatly appreciative. If you're enjoying the show, if you leave a rate and review wherever you listen, and if you listen on Audible, or if you are a member of Audible and you've never listened to podcasts there before, consider listening to The Star Coach Show on Audible and leaving a review there so we get some traction in Audible. Until next week and our 300th episode, I wish you the very best for your coaching success. We'll see you next week. Before you go, I want to invite you one more time to the Star Coach Masterclass, the six C's to your coaching master plan, where I'm diving into those critical elements you need to be thinking about to really take the world by storm as a coach. Go to starcoachshow.com forward slash register forward slash starcoachshow.com forward slash register. Forward slash. Be sure to sandwich that register in those two forward slashes, and I will see you in the master class.